everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network Podcast. I'm senior reporter for The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. This time, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at the world of health marketing, how it's changed, and where there are real opportunities for creativity. For this episode, I was lucky enough to be joined by Gary Swimmer, who is the Executive Creative Director for McCann World Group, to go over every single aspect of health marketing, from inception of an idea, all the way through to delivery in different territories. So to begin with then, as we always do, I wondered if you could provide a brief overview of your own history and sort of how you've navigated your way through the industry to where you and McCann are, are now in terms of kind of health marketing. Yeah, sure. So um, I came into health just over a decade ago. Um, previous to that, I'd worked in, in a number of agencies. My background is, uh, like many people uh, in health uh, advertising these days, my background is or was in the world of consumer advertising. Actually, I started my career at uh, Abbott Mead Vickers, working on some great brands and, and campaigns uh, and learning the ropes there. And then after working you know, for a, a couple of agencies, both freelance at some stage um, and perm, um, I, about 10 years ago, um, got the job uh, at McCann Health, initially actually to work on uh, a smaller division of McCann Health, which was consumer health uh, focused campaigns, so health campaigns that were that were focused um, predominantly at consumers, not at professionals or uh, healthcare professionals. Um, and then bit by bit, kind of um, uh, made my way through in the world of health. And 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 ten years later, um, I'm now the ECD of McCann Health in London. Very nice, and. Yeah, I just want to pick on something you mentioned there quickly, which is the idea that, like many people in health, you sort of came from that consumer background. Do you feel that that's actually, I suppose, impacted how you how you think about health marketing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, um, you know, most people who work in health will tell you that, you know, uh, ideas are ideas and that fundamentally, you know, it, you know, communication at its best, and it doesn't matter who the audience is, is about, you know, simple ideas that cut through. Mm. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that the world of health marketing and health advertising is coming from a little bit of a lower base than its consumer counterpart. And yeah. I think that, you know, very much some of the, you know, um, some of the best, you know, practices and traditions of consumer advertising have been making their way very quickly, I should say, into the world of health. This is a sector that is changing and transforming faster than anything I've ever seen or known in my professional life. Mm. And a huge part of that is the influx of talent from different places, including, um, you know, big consumer agencies in the world of consumer marketing. Nice. Well, that's fantastic. It actually does touch on something I wanted to bring up, which is what are some of those fast moving trends that you've seen, even in the, I suppose, you know, it's a relatively short time since you've actually sort of joined the industry. So how has that changed over that time? Um, creativity. I think mm -hmm. is the first big one, really. I think that um, there has been such a, a move towards an understanding of the power of big creative ideas to communicate what are still sometimes relatively complex messages. But I think that it had always been perceived that because the messages were complex or because some of the content was, you know, uh, was more ba you know, based in sort of uh, science or based in or based in things that, that that felt a bit more, a bit less tangible than than, than FMCG FMCG campaigns for for cars or for or for food or whatever it might be. I think because of that, there was a perception that the advertising itself had to be complex as well, and detailed as well, and and quite straight and quite mm. um, uh, and in some cases, I guess, quite dour. But very much, you know, there's been a a, 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 
a growing acceptance and a growing understanding that big, simple breakthrough ideas are will work with whatever subject matter and whatever the audience. So creativity is the first big shift, no mm-hmm. question. And I think the second one is the shift away from traditional marketing channels uh, to integrated and digital and digital campaigns. And you know, again, there was a, a, a reluctance, I think, for some marketers and health to move away from some very very traditional channels um, to advertise to professionals, whether they be uh, medical journals and, and, and publications, or whether they be uh, you know the one to one communication from sales reps. Um, to physicians and to healthcare professionals. Now we're living in a you know interconnected you know multi-channel age where every you know everybody's on on their phones and devices all the time. And there's been a, a a big shift, and as I say, a very quick shift towards making our campaigns function on all devices. Yeah, and multi-channel campaigns all the time. So I think they're the two biggest shifts. That that it must be absolutely fascinating to have seen that shift towards digital, particularly around this. How, you know, how is that manifesting? How are some of the, you know, the most effective campaigns sort of really existing on digital platforms? Well, I think the interesting thing about the the way that technology has, has, has allowed us to move forward is if you think about, you know, the way, you know, brands like Apple and Google um, have so quickly, you know, provided utility and function in the world of health. I think that, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit obvious really when you think about it, when you think about your phones, your Apple Watch, whatever it might be. Um, there are so many areas in which technology can actually monitor uh, and help to improve our health, whether it's through the data they provide or actually just, you know, just being and uh, providing interesting solutions. So mm. something that um, uh, our, our, our Shanghai office did a couple of uh, a couple of years ago was a really interesting campaign using uh, using your phone to help monitor uh, for for people who have asthma and breathing mm. difficulties using your, your 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 phone as a measure of lung capacity. And and you know obviously devices lend themselves so much to these kinds of things that actually you know when you think about it. It's amazing that it's taken such a long time for digital campaigns, you know, to, 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 you know, for, for health campaigns to become digital because actually the technology exists to benefit our health in so many different ways. So I think that, you know, very quickly we have moved from, as I say, kind of traditional awareness campaigns that might have lived, you know, in a print, print journal or a print ad mm-hmm. to using technology to solve health problems and to, and to, and to benefit us. Um, and and I think that is you know really really exciting and interesting development. Chris, I'm happy, I'm happy to take that one again as well. No, I thought that one was really good, and it actually flows really nicely into this next okay. question. Okay, if that's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you mentioned Singapore there. I just wondered, is that kind of transition towards digital actually making it a sort of practical marketing tool to to people? Is that something that's a global consideration, or is that something that is sort of limited to certain territories? Uh, no, I think it's global. I think nice. it's you know it's 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 global. I don't think it's it's restricted to one area or another. I think sometimes you find interesting um, uh, different local and cultural cultural applications of technology or specifically health challenges. It's really really interesting when we work on certain treatments, uh, whether they be um, you know pharma traditional pharma treatments or whether we you know a lot of our work is 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 treatments that are marketed either sold you know in supermarkets or pharmacies or or treatments that are marketed direct to consumers i think what's really interesting is you get some very interesting cultural nuances around them so whether they are um uh, things that you know for the appearance whether they're aesthetic treatments and of course there are different ways uh, in which for instance in asia 
or different different parts of the world, you know, people approach aesthetic treatments and therefore marketing those treatments. Yeah. Because what what might constitute health and wellness and beauty uh, in one part of the world might be a completely different concept in another part of the world. So I think they're interesting challenges. And sometimes there are other local cultural nuances. In fact, the idea I just mentioned was done by our Shanghai office, which is a, a wonderful campaign for one That's of our okay. clients. Um, uh, and and it was about about breathing used um used Chinese blow paintings or Chinese Chinese art, traditional Chinese art, to bring the idea to life. So that's I think really that's a, nice. Yeah. So the, the idea was you blow into your phone and it, and, and, and it represents it, it recreates a Chinese blow painting to, to, to demonstrate your your lung capacity. So yeah. I think you know there's little cultural nuances like that that will change from from place to place. But ultimately, of course, you know uh, our clients are demanding digital solutions right across the board and as i say using technology to help solve those problems that doesn't you know that doesn't rest in any one um country or continent that's a global that's a, a global thing every day yeah definitely and i think it's it's definitely true what you've mentioned there kind of the idea that as you travel to different places you know kind of seeing how people market health products is it just feels so very different and so very jarring at times Remember, my dad lived in Hong Kong for six years, and so when I'd go out there and I'd see these these ads for you know health related products, it felt like it was a completely different world because in the UK we're so used to talking about health as a kind of you know in hushed tones uh, as a very personal issue, and yet I suppose for the most part it's an incredibly universal thing that we all have to deal with is kind of making sure that we're keeping on top of our health. And the first thing that anyone notices when they you know when they spend any time in the states for the first time yeah. is the way in which drugs brands and pharma brands speak direct to you know consumer audiences mm. and I, I remember you know um you know the first time i spent any time in the states i couldn't believe how much people and um, friends and colleagues you know who had nothing to do with the, with health or the world of health advertising just knew about drugs because obviously they're marketed on billboards and on tv ads and anyone who's who's you know who spent any time in a, in a hotel room in the in the states watching the ad breaks will see you know um these these ads with all these huge amounts of disclaimers and all these yeah. side effects so i think there are you know definitely um uh you know different cultural factors at play but fundamentally you know coming back to what i said earlier you're always looking for that breakthrough idea whether it's a tech-based idea or a more or more traditional broadcast or awareness type idea what you're mm. looking for um and what is you know increasingly you know a higher bar that's being set in the world of of, of creativity and health is simple cut through ideas um that affect you know that that, that, that that will you know encourage people to change their behavior or do something as a result yeah, and that needs that leads very neatly onto the next question, which is, you know, the idea is there almost best practice then for creating those cut through ideas in the same way that I, people get very emotive about health marketing, and and a lot of times if it's done poorly, it can be damaging. So mm. is there a way that we're sort of that you know the industry is aligning itself around some core ideals or best practice, you know, ways of actually communicating these messages? Well, I think, you know, the, you know, there are regulations. It would be wrong yeah. of me to say that there weren't regulations and, and you weren't starting from the point of view that there are important things to communicate. You know, as I said, I come from the world of, of, of consumer advertising and whilst so many of the, you know, uh, you know, the campaigns that are produced by, you know, um, consumer brands, you know, have many of them have extremely, you know, you know, important uh, messages to communicate, sometimes messages, you know, of, of, real, of seriousness and, and gravity. Uh, you know, when you're communicating about campaigns that might be about life, life changing or life, in some cases, life threatening, you know, yeah. conditions, obviously, you know, you know, 
it's obvious you don't need, need me to say that you know that comes with a certain degree of, of restriction and caution. Mm. That said, once you accept that as your start point, I think the creative challenge is up, you know, is absolutely open and as open as it would be on any other brand in any other context. So in terms of best practices, I think the same as you would apply to anything, you know, try and, you know, keep it simple. Try not to uh, try not to you know confuse your audience. Try not to think of your audience, particularly when you're communicating, when you are communicating to healthcare professionals as opposed to consumers. Try not to consider them as some you know strange, different you know uh, you know uh, breed or brand of, of people. You know we all we've all got friends, family members, people we know who work in in in, in the healthcare professions, who are doctors, nurses, uh, whatever they might be. You know um, right now. Quite rightly, you know, we've just come out of a time when, you know, people are coming out of their houses, you know, once a week to, to applaud, you yeah. know, our, our healthcare staff and professionals. These are people who, you know, these are our audience are the people who we live and work with every day. They're not some, as I say, some kind of alien, you know, <laughs> a set of people <laughs> over there, you know, our, our audience. You know, go to the same movies we we go to in normal times at least. Uh, go to the same <laughs> yeah, movies, listen course. to the same music we do. They fall in love. They do everything we do. So why wouldn't they be motivated by the same, by the same creative ideas? You know, um, uh, uh, that would that would you know that would drive any other campaign, including humor as well, which is sometimes a bit of a a bit of a a third rail, if you like, or a taboo in 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 healthcare marketing. And I'm I'm a big believer that that can work in the right context. You know, humor can can be a very effective tool as well. Yeah, certainly. And so you, you mentioned kind of your own work in Shanghai, but what would be some of those other kind of standout campaigns that you think really demonstrate how to do it that right that you've worked on? Um, I mean, if I can pick a couple of recent examples, yeah, please. I think, um, I mean, very recently we did a, a campaign at McCann Health London, which was actually a collaboration uh, between ourselves and a couple of agencies across the McCann network and uh, originated actually um, in, um, in Lebanon. The campaign was, was originally launched in the Middle East, um, um, working in conjunction with, as I say, um, McCann Paris and a few of our, a few of our, our counterparts across the group. Um, there was um, a really interesting challenge that we, that we brought, Chris, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to start. Do you want to ask me that question again? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Again. Thank you. No worries. And so you talked about humor there and you mentioned uh, you work in Shanghai earlier. I wondered what would be some of the kind of the standout campaigns that you've worked on recently that you want to share as examples of best practice for this? Um, I think I'll pick a couple, actually, because I think they're both relevant to, to the, the questions that we were talking about before. We launched a few weeks ago a campaign uh, that was launched um, in several countries at the same time uh, on World Cancer Day. Mm. Uh, which was at the start of, of February. And it was a campaign that had originally um, uh, been launched in the Middle East. It was a collaboration across McCann World Group, actually, not just not just health. It originated um, uh, via McCann Paris. And mm. it was a collaboration uh, between the health and the consumer um, uh, parts of McCann World Group. It was uh, a campaign um, to encourage women um, to, uh, to go for um, uh, screenings for breast cancer. And it was based on an insight that, um, obviously, you know, uh, you know, above a certain age, uh, in this country and, and beyond, uh, women are required to go for regular screenings for breast cancer. But in certain communities, in certain minority communities specifically, there are taboos around, um, discussing certain elements of breast cancer. There might be taboos mm. around the whole idea of self-examinations, discussing it with friends, family, even doctors, and indeed, um, some evidence that 
and certain minority communities in the UK and beyond, um, there is a lower uh, turnout for regular screenings. Uh, and as I say, that's partly due in some cases to these cultural taboos around discussing, you know, um, certain sensitive, certain sensitive areas um, uh, to do with breast cancer. Mm. So uh, this campaign that we that we launched um, was uh, to encourage women to look out for the the, the signs the early signs of breast cancer and to, uh, to, to speak to their doctor or attend screenings uh, without mentioning uh, uh, the body or, or, or physiology at all. What it was was a, a campaign that we did teaming up with um, chefs uh, to teach women how to bake bread. Uh, but okay. actually what they were doing was, uh, the campaign was called the bread exam. What they were actually doing was uh, was actually kneading or preparing two round um, 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 pieces of dough, um, learning how to to knead them, to pinch them, and to check them effectively for lumps. That's in a the, great idea. Uh, in the UK, we launched with um, uh, an ex-Master Chef winner who's also a doctor, uh, Dr. Salia Mahmoud Ahmed, and she was a perfect, um, she has a big following on Instagram and social media. She was a perfect spokesperson for the idea, and as I said, we launched on World Cancer Day, so we were encouraging people uh, uh, to go for screenings and to, and to and the importance of self-examinations without ever mentioning um, uh, you know, sensitive parts of the body at all. Oh, that is fantastic. What, what an amazing way to actually get that message out there as well, partnering with somebody who was so perfect for that campaign. Mm. So that, yeah, that's, uh, that's one idea. I can give you another example if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was a kind of pre-lockdown uh, campaign that, again, you know, speaks very much to what I was talking about before about trying to find um, uh, you know, strong insights around, around behavior and health. And if you can find a, you know, a, a, tech, a tech solution for it, uh, if it helps to solve a problem. Um, in the UK, um, we still have a, a very, very large problem with um, people uh, not attending uh, eye tests. And I don't know if you know, if you're aware how often, well, I'll do a quick, a quick Q&A. <laughs> uh, everyone roughly knows, roughly knows how often they're supposed to go to the dentist, roughly. I'm not sure we all do, but in normal times. But how often do you know, do you know how often you're supposed to Visit your optician. Uh, optician is it not every two years? Uh, it's supposed to be once a year or what? more, or okay, more if you need it. Um, and that's a very, very common, very, very common perception. In yeah. fact, uh, a study um, uh, was done, which was that I think one in four UK adults don't visit the optician as often as they as often as they should, and five million UK adults can't remember the last time they ever had an eye test. <laughs> so um, you know, getting people to take good care of their eyes and, 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 and have regular eye tests is a big challenge. It's a big challenge for all high street opticians, which is why you'll see so many of them uh, discounting eye tests and trying to get people in through the door for eye tests. Um, we were approached by a really interesting brand, um, an online optician uh, who have a boutique store, um, uh, a flagship store in, in, in East London, in Shoreditch, uh, who were trying to attract more, uh, more, uh, more people through the door for eye tests, as I say. Um, and we kind of tried to tackle this idea that, you know, people just don't know how often they're supposed to visit the optician. Yeah. Uh, but we married it with, a, with, with something that we believe was, was a real truth, which is that even though people don't visit the optician as much as they, as they should, we do actually, in normal times at least, when we're out and about, test our eyes quite a lot so if you're standing at a train station or a bus stop or you know if you're standing just on the street people will often kind of look around and look at um, street signs or road signs or number plates and try and kind of work out especially if your eyesight is kind of going off a little bit yeah. and deteriorating i'm sure i could last time i was here a couple of years ago i'm sure i didn't have a problem reading that so what we decided to do was turn those 
um, uh, little kind of events into actual eye tests. So um, what we did was, and this was this was a campaign we we launched pre-lockdown. Yeah. We um, we we put a whole load across central London. We put a whole load of on-street eye tests, uh, encouraging people to to read clock towers and road signs and street signs and sometimes signs above pubs. Um, and if they couldn't read them properly, um, uh, an instant code would take, would drive them to the optician uh, to make an appointment for an eye test. So we actually turned landmarks into eye tests. Each one of these eye tests was actually clinically checked by an optician to check that it actually worked as an eye test, uh, and it was an extremely effective campaign which 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 was hugely beneficial and, and and brought a lot of people um at the time through their door to take eye tests so you know i think you know trying to use different ways of you know one in one example it was it was baking bread another example is using landmarks and street signs and road signs um trying to encourage people to uh to to think about their health in unusual ways it is often a way of cutting through and, and, and as i say affecting that behavior change yeah definitely I mean, those are some fantastic examples. I, I, the number of times when, before I was wearing glasses regularly, where I'd actually go out and do exactly that, cover first one eye, then the other, while I was looking at a license plate. So yeah, that, that's a fantastic campaign. Hmm. We, so we've spoken about, there about some of the opportunities around health marketing and how to do it effectively. But when it comes to challenges, I know that it's sort of colliding with this idea that people are much more concerned about how their own personal data is being used. Yes. So when it actually comes to privacy and health data, how are you navigating that particular... I suppose coming together are two big challenges. Well, it is a challenge. I mean, it is a challenge. I mean, I don't think I don't think health is unique uh, mm. in this in this challenge because I think that all healthcare or health brands are unique because I think that you know we're at a point of you know of, of development of digital you know in in the life cycle in, in the life cycle. Of, right, Chris, I'll, I'll start that one again. If that's okay. Yeah, do you want me to ask the question? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, and we've spoken there about some of the opportunities, the best practice of how you actually do communicate, I suppose, very private health-related information to consumers. But at the same time, it feels like you might be running up against these dual problems of consumers being much more concerned about how their data is being used and also the sort of the, the other problem, which is kind of people being much more, I suppose, savvy when it comes to how they're marketed to. So how are you navigating that tricky position between ensuring that health like health data is still private but also making sure that your messages are effective mm. well i think it is a challenge i mean i think i think you know i don't think health brands um are unique in having to face that challenge i think that's that's a challenge that faces pretty much you know all marketeers and all and, and all brands today and i think when you you know when when you read about i don't know google google buying fitbit or particularly around you know facebook's you know health programs preventative health that facebook launch you know you don't you know need me to say that you know there are lots and lots of challenges around these companies already yeah. and what they do with our data so as soon as they get into health and let's not forget that you know, there was a time um, that health data, you know, was you know a series of you know a series of notes that sat mm. in a you know in a in a binder file, a dusty dusty file in a doctor's office. Whereas now, you know, health data is kind of anything, right? Health data is how many steps you walked today. It's the it's the, it's the air around you and and the cleanliness of the air around you, or it's a, a report that you know that you could that anyone can run about your your genetic your heritage and and your you know, and whether or not you you might be more more susceptible to a certain condition. I mean, health data is absolutely everything, and a lot of these these tech companies are collecting our data. I, I think ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to authenticity mm. and trust, as it does, as I said, with all other 
sectors. I think you know if you if if you have an authentic relationship with your with your customers, then they're like they're more likely to be okay with you holding more of their data. So if they trust you, they're more yeah. likely to trust you with their data too. And I think when the challenges come is when maybe you're not transparent, you're not necessarily completely authentic in your marketing. Uh, you're not, as I say, transparent with what you're doing with your with your consumers' data. And trust breaks down. Well, then you have an issue. But I think fundamentally, as I said, if if, if they trust you as a brand, they're more likely to trust you with their data. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that leads very, very nicely onto something that we've been acutely aware of over the past 12 months in particular, which is this rise of, I suppose, inauthentic or deliberately false sometimes um, health information and misinformation, to give it you know, its proper term. So how then are brands setting themselves apart and making sure that people know that they can trust what is being told to them by those brands as opposed to, you know, your auntie or <laughs> whoever you've seen on, on a social network? Well, it is a contemporary challenge, and it's not just your auntie, actually. I mean, yeah. we had a, a challenge not long after the, uh, the start of lockdown last year, actually, where one of our very large brands, I, I won't say the, the name, but a very large, um, uh, a very large you know, con, a consumer brand that everyone uh, will be aware of and that we've all probably used, um, um, who came to us because, uh, uh, as I say, not just your auntie, this was a French uh, government minister uh, had had um, tweeted some misinformation uh, with regard to this particular treatment and COVID, um, and we had to kind of react to it. So what we actually had to do was build a site, which was kind of like a countering misinformation site. We had a week to get a site up together, all the information together, uh, come up with a concept for the site, and build the site, and get it out. It took a, li- a little more than a week in the end, but um, insanely quickly. Yeah, so it's not just kind of people in dark corners of the internet sharing, you know, fake news. It can also be, like I say, government ministers, and that can, you know, definitely put brands on the back foot. And I think, you know, you know, it's important to remember the role that brands have to play in information, uh, in getting in getting the right information out there. I know there were some really interesting surveys that were done, you know, as we went into as as, as the pandemic hits and as we went into lockdown around the roles that brands. Um, could and should play in consumer expectations of the roles the brands would play. And they were, and there, and there are a lot. I mean, consumers expect a lot of brands. I think there was a, a, a survey that I read that said something like 60% of consumers said that brands were expected to play a role in helping during the pandemic. Yeah, which I think is, which really interesting. And then there was another study that I read that said three quarters, I think, of consumers said that if a brand had, you know, had kind of, Done something that would seem to be detrimental or or, or um, not helpful for you know whilst people were suffering with COVID, it would it would lose their trust forever. So these are kind of big numbers, and it's really really important for brands to behave you know responsibly. There was another brief that you know my my team came to me with again around the same time, where um, uh, there was a brand that we have another big you know consumer uh, brand that we work with, a consumer health brand that we work with, who were talking about doing a COVID campaign and my question to the to the teams was okay so what are we doing what is this brand doing to help you know with with covid yeah and the answer was well we're thinking about it and we're looking at looking looking at it and i said well if we haven't got anything positive to say really positive to say that we're actually doing something to help then we shouldn't say anything until until we have and i think that you know um you know you know, brands are about on the back foot enough, as you say, trying to counter um, uh, fake news, like the example that I gave, where, you know, we have enough of a job to kind of slowly and diligently 
you know, keep, you know, making sure the right information gets out there or countering it quicker when we need to. Mm. What we shouldn't be doing is behaving irresponsibly or contributing to that noise. So I think, you know, we have a huge responsibility as brands and as marketeers to ensure that we are um, contributing to solutions, behaving responsibly uh, and and making sure that when when we do need to to, to, to push back, you know, um, uh, that fake information, we do so. But it's it's a daily challenge, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was, you were talking about authenticity before. I think that, that kind of speaks to that idea that audiences can sniff out, audiences, consumers can sniff out when a brand is just saying something for the hell of it and not actually contributing anything positive. So I think that was really heartening to hear that it's a consideration that goes into brand comms at the moment. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's... Um, you know, these are, are extraordinary times. And if those really are the expectations of brands, yeah. then, you know, then, you know, like never before, uh, our consumers and our audiences can, 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 can sniff out and can, can see inauthenticity or inauthentic behavior. So, uh, I mean, they were, that was obviously the case, you know, for many years pre pandemic. <clears throat> but now that we're in, a, a state of real heightened sensitivity and heightened awareness. It's really incumbent upon brands um, to play a responsible role, and and I think many are. Many are succeeding mm. very well, and and I'm pleased to say that you know that's true of many of our campaigns as well. But as I say, it's it's something you have to be on your metal for every day. Nice. I think it's it's you know, I think and I particularly think that, that kind of the analogy of providing that signal among all the noise is a really really good one. Uh, so we're coming towards the end of the interview now, and I just wondered if maybe there were one or two key bullet points that you want to pick out from what we've spoken about that you really want an audience to take away. Ooh, put me on the spot. Big one, big um, one. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think the last one we've just been talking about, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you can't say anything authentic, think very hard before saying it at all. <laughs> yeah, of because course. Because I think that's, you know, that's crucial for all of us in life, I guess, but certainly certainly for <laughs> brands and certainly for brands right now. Yeah. Um, and I think the other one probably goes back to where we started. You know, you know, creativity, you know, is 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 always, you know, is always, you know, as uh, you know, as the phrase goes, creativity is the only way to survive. Creativity is very often, if not always, uh, the answer. So I think, you know, keep things, keep things simple and keep them, keep them creative and keep them interesting. Uh, and you'll always have a chance at getting through to your audience with the right message. Absolutely. Fantastic. And then as a very final question, if the audience wants to reach out to you and pick your brains on anything that you've mentioned, maybe get in contact about some of those case studies that you spoke about, where's the best place for them to reach you? Um, probably best to go direct to, to McCann Health, uh, just in case I'm, I'm, I'm a, bit, a bit slack and don't, return, don't respond to an email. So, um, so apologies in advance if that's the case. <laughs> uh, but yes, I think if you, if you contact um, anyone at McCann Health via our social channel, so LinkedIn, Instagram, um, uh, Twitter. So yeah, just McCann Health London. Fantastic. Well, Guy, thank you so much for that. I know that the audience is going to have taken away a lot from that. And I know that personally I'm feeling quite... I suppose there's a lot to think about there, but I'm feeling heartened by the fact that, you know, knowing that there are people actually who are considering this kind of stuff and it's not just putting information out there for information's sake, it's actually considering the consumer as they do it. So thank you very much for that. Fantastic. Thank you. Mm-hmm.